0: Open God's holy word to Jeremiah chapter 49, Jeremiah chapter 49, concerning the Ammonites thus says Yahweh, has Israel no sons, has he no heir? Why then is Milcom disposed to get dispossessed Gad and his people settled in its cities? Therefore behold the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. And Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says Yahweh. Well, O Heshbon, for Ai is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put on sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro among the hedges, for Milcom shall go into exile. With his priest and his officials. Why do you boast of your valleys. O faithless daughter. Who trusted in her treasure saying. Who will come against me. Behold I will bring terror upon you. Declares Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh of hosts. From all who are around you. And you shall be driven out. Every man straight before him. With none to gather the fugitives. But afterward. I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. Declares Yahweh. Concerning Edom. Thus says Yahweh of hosts: Is wisdom no more unto man? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children, I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says Yahweh, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares Yahweh, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual waste. I have heard a message from Yahweh, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart... You who live in the clefts of of the rock, who hold the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares Yahweh. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says Yahweh, no man shall dwell there, no man shall sojourn in her. "'Behold, like a lion coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, "'I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. "'For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? "'Therefore hear the plan that Yahweh has made against Edom, "'and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. "'Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away.' Surely their fold shall be be appalled at their fate. And at the sound of their fall shall the earth tremble. The sound of their city shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Concerning Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are confounded, for they have heard bad news. They melt in fear. They are troubled like the sea that cannot be quiet. Damascus has become feeble. She turned to flee and panic seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her as of a woman in labor. How is the famous city not forsaken? The city of my joy. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed in that day, declares Yahweh of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down. Thus says Yahweh, Rise up, advance against Kedar, destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken, their curtains and all their goods. Their camels shall be led away from them, and the men and men shall cry to them, terror on every side. Flee, wander away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, declares Yahweh. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has made a plan against you and formed a purpose against you. Rise up, advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, declares Yahweh, that has no gates or bars, that dwells alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair, and I will bring their calamity from every side of them, declares Yahweh. Hazor shall become a haunt of jackals an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might. I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation... To which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies. And, and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger declares Yahweh. I will send the sword after them. Until I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam. And destroy their king and officials declares Yahweh. But in the latter days. I will restore the fortunes of Elam declares Yahweh. This
1: it's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father. As unworthy sinners. Saved by your grace.
0: We gather today. Rejoicing that Christ is risen. He's seated at your right hand. He's Lord over all. He's King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. The nations. Are His, all enemies are being put under His feet. And they already are. He rules over all. But redemptively, all enemies are being put under His feet. So that one day, whenever He returns, that will be fully manifest. And your plan to redeem a host from every nation. And give them an inheritance. Will be made plain and clear. And so let us hold on to that hope. Let us be um, now edified, sanctified, holy, Distinct, encouraged, strengthened in our faith by these very truths. In Christ's name we ask them, Amen. When unpacking the oracles against the nations, it's critical that you understand that they come vacuum sealed. So, though judgment has been delivered to these nations, it hasn't been fully unpacked yet. Judgment was delivered to these nations, but it hasn't been fully unpacked yet. Jesus adds water to the Old Testament, and when He does so, it swells substantially. He comes to fulfill them. He makes them full, and then He fills that fullness to the brim. On the day of His return, and forever thereafter, I am absolutely certain we will be dumbfounded, awestruck at just how much God was able to pack into so small a space again and again and again. The oracles against the nations are compressed files. Jesus unzips them and we will see more and more clearly that when within these bytes of information, God communicates terabytes of revelation to us. Now, these oracles do come with fences, but the fences are temporary. They're not meant to contain the judgment that's spoken of here, but to communicate. they're not meant to contain a judgment. They're meant to communicate the judgment. There are fences here. The fences are temporary. To see how dissolvable these fences are, let's visit once again Jeremiah 25. Verses 13 through 32, which I'll remind you, in the Septuagint, that ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, this portion of Scripture serves as the conclusion to the oracles against the nations. Even in the Hebrew Bible, you can understand how these verses serve as a commentary-like conclusion for the oracles against the nations. Jeremiah 25, 15 through 32. Thus says Yahweh, the God of of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom Yahweh sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and its officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod. Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, All the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair. All the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert. All the kings of Zimri, and all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media, and all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another. You notice the address here. These are the fences. This is the fence. Then listen to this next part and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. So you got a fence, and yet you get a sense that this fence doesn't mean a whole lot. Moving on. Then you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink and be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I'm sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, You must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares Yahweh of hosts. Now follow that logic. I've judged the city that's called by my name, And will you, these nations, will you escape? Follow that principle that you see there and think of its cosmic implications. Think of what it means for all the nations of the earth. Think of
1: every nation that exists right now. If God judged Jerusalem, will they escape? Moving on again. You therefore shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them,
0: Yahweh will roar from on high and from His holy habitation utter His voice. He will roar mightily against His fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth for Yahweh has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh And the wicked he will put to the sword, declares Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the furthest parts of the earth. While these fences are up, this all-the-earth kind of language, to-the-ends-of-the-earth kind of language, is a justifiable, understandable, literary use of hyperbole, not meant to exaggerate, but to communicate the intensity of the judgment. But it's clear that these fences are meant to dissolve at some point, and then what is hyperbole will not be an exaggeration, but an understatement. When Jesus baptizes this world in fire, these fences will dissolve. Even so, as we immerse ourselves into this passage, seeing the fences gives us a shape, an idea, it communicates to us the judgment that is to come. The first nation we come to in this chapter is the brother of the one we looked at previously in chapter 48, Ammon is Moab's little brother. Both of them descended from Lot's incestuous relationship with his daughters, Genesis chapter 39. Ammon was north of Moab, so Moab is is just, think of it right by the Dead Sea pretty much, just east of the Dead Sea, a little bit south. And then directly north of there, right along the Jordan, that was the territory that would be um, allotted to the tribe of Gad, It was the territory that they overtook from the Amorites. Not the Ammonites, but the Amorites, who we know also took some of that territory from the Ammonites. So here's here's the Dead Sea, right by it. You have uh, Moab, then you have Gad right above them. And so north of Moab, east of the Jordan River, east of the allotment of Gad, you would have Ammon. And their territory was much less rigidly defined than that of Moab was. There was a lot more flex that happened. And like most of these nations, her battles and skirmishes with Israel were so many that we don't have time to recall all the backstory that's involved here. But this, this should suffice. Most recently, you might recall in chapter 40, that it was Baalus, king of the Ammonites, who sent who worked with Ishmael, conspiring to have Gedaliah, the governor that Nebuchadnezzar put in place, to have him assassinated. It was Baalus, the king of the Amorites, who Ammonites, excuse me, who was behind that. Here, though, the prosecution opens with an indictment for possessing land that God did not give her. This territory that was previously allotted to the tribe of Gad. To understand why this is judged so severely by God, we need to step back to the beginning of the nation of Israel's dealings with many of these nations, including Ammon. Israel was forbidden to take the lands, specifically of those who were related to her, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. In the conquest under Joshua in Deuteronomy, Before they march in there, they have these restrictions. Deuteronomy, all in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Deuteronomy 2.9, Yahweh said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar to the people of Lot for a possession. Deuteronomy 2.19, and when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for an inheritance. God draws lines for the nations. And He often redraws those lines. But whenever Ammon takes this land that was allotted to Israel, specifically the tribe of Gad, whenever she takes this land, Ammon crosses the line. God draws the line, and when Ammon does this, she crosses the line. And here you see implicitly the reason why these judgments are coming against all these nations. The reason is made explicit in chapter 12 of Jeremiah 10 and 14. Many shepherds, which would be a way of referring to kings, many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, in the desert destroyers have come. For the sword of Yahweh devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out but profit nothing. nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. So the judgment... That's coming on these nations. Is because they've touched the inheritance. That Yahweh gave to his sons. And this judgment comes in the answer of a lament. We see in Jeremiah 10.25. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not. And on the peoples that call not on your name. For they have devoured Jacob. They have devoured him and consumed him. And have laid waste His habitation. Whenever God draws the lines for the nations, He draws a special line around His people. Deuteronomy 32 8 and 9. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Don't know what that means? But there are cosmic dimensions to how God is chopping things up on earth. Goes on, but Yahweh's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. So it's not simply that this land is the heritage given specifically to his people. And he's divided everything else up for the rest of the nations. This is the heritage of his people. But those people are His heritage, distinct from all others. What this says is that however God may have used these nations to chastise and judge His people, His covenant line that He's drawn around His people has not been erased or forgotten. Though Israel has largely been absorbed, dissolved by the nations into which she has spread, he's not without a son, without an heir, such that it would justify what Ammon is doing. And further, note that this war against the Ammonites takes place on the highest level. Has Milcom dispossessed Gad? Milcom, you are more familiar with by the predominant name used for this Ammonite god throughout the scripture, Molech. And it's not that Molech is real, but that the spiritual principalities and powers that are behind Molech, the the religion, the false religion that's behind and motivating and, and encouraging them in their actions, all of it is judged by Yahweh. As a consequence of her opportunistic, unrightful, greedy possession, the battle cry will be heard against Rabbah, her capital, verse 2. It's to become a desolate mound. It's, to be ver- its village is burned. And the result is that Israel will dispossess the one who dispossessed her, verse 2. Now, when and how is that possibly fulfilled? If you try to look within the fence, you will strain your eyes and see Nothing if you try to keep fences up. But once you realize that the true Israel are those who are circumcised in heart, Romans 2, 28 through 29. Whenever you realize that the children of Abraham are those who are children by faith and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, 7 and 29. Then you can understand what Jesus was getting at and how it speaks to this very thing. Dispossessing those who had dispossessed you. Whenever Jesus says, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. You see, Jesus not only waters the judgments of the Old Testament so that they swell concerning the judgment of the nations, He waters His promises concerning the redemption of His people as well. So whenever you hear the promise made to Abraham concerning giving him this little slice of land, it grows substantially whenever it's watered by the gospel of Christ. Romans 4.13 The promise to Abraham and his offspring, which Paul has demonstrated, are the ones who are his sons by faith. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What it means for the meek to inherit the earth, for the true Israel to dispossess those who have dispossessed her, can be seen then in Hebrews chapter 10. 33 through 35. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. It's yours. Who gave it to you? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. You accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. As believing Judah, the believing remnant of Judah that went into exile in Babylon, could go forward in hope,
1: knowing that God has not erased His covenant lines around His people.
0: And that there was an inheritance for those who live by faith. Joyfully enduring whatever trials might lie ahead. Confident that God had not forsaken His covenant promises. So we as exiles can journey through these last days. Knowing our God will judge the nations. Let them rearrange the lines however they wish. It's all Christ's. And therefore in the end it's all ours. The Ammonites are next called on to lament, for her cities are laid waste. Her officials, her priests, even her God has been taken into exile, verses 3 and 4. So like Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, which we saw in 48, verse 7, who was carried away captive, like, and this was a common practice, Whenever you, you, uh, whenever you defeated a people, you would carry away their gods as well. So like Chemosh, Milcom, Molech is carried away captive. Now contrast this with what Yahweh says about his judgment on his people. He's removing them from his presence and he says he will save them from afar and bring them back. Sure, Milcom, Molech goes into exile with his people, but he's in the same sorry state that they are, defeated, mocked, shamed, ridiculed. Ammon once boasted in her treasures, thinking these made her immune to this kind of attack, verse 4. But she'll soon be surrounded by terror, brought upon her by Yahweh, driven out of her land, verse 5. And yet, in mercy, God promises to this people who once trusted in her treasures, that he will restore her fortunes. This is similar to the promise that's made to Egypt in chapter 46, verse 26. It's identical to the promise made first to Moab in forty-eight, forty-seven, and the promise we'll see made to Elam at the end of this chapter. But we'll wait to unfold the significance of all that when we deal with Elam. Following Babylon and Moab, we come to the, the next nation that more scroll is devoted to than any of the others, Edom. The Edomites, as this passage makes clear for you in verses 8 and 10, are the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And the first part of this word against the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, speaks of the inevitability of this judgment and their folly for not understanding this. Is wisdom no more unto man? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? So there's a lack of wisdom. And the way that that wisdom is demonstrated is in relation to this judgment that's coming and they're not prepared for it. How it How is it that Edom is being foolish? Well, one answer you could give just from the broad scope of Scripture, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Yahweh. Judgment's coming against them. They have no fear. Therefore, they're fools. But I don't think that's the specific answer. That's true. And that is an umbrella over the specific answer given in this text. But I don't think it's the specific one. So you don't get the answer, I think, of how there's no more wisdom in Edom until you get to verse 12. So verses 8 through 11 speak of the judgment that's coming on her. And then you figure out why it is she's a fool for not being prepared for that judgment. Edom is to flee and dwell in the, de- in the depths for the calamity that's to come on her. Verse 8, Whenever grape gathers glean, they leave something behind. Whenever a thief breaks into your house, he leaves something behind. But when Yahweh comes against Edom, he will strip her bare. So you see the grape kind of imagery there. And yet it also uh, gets into the thief imagery. Because after Yahweh has stripped her bare, Edom has nothing to wear. She's exposed and ashamed. And then Yahweh says, for the men of Edom to leave their orphaned children and their widowed wives in his care. And this, though there's some grace communicated in this, that's not real. This is more so a taunt. It says, your God, your God is not going to take care of them and you're going to die. Leave them in my care. Um, and, and so then we get to this reason for judgment in verses 12 and 13. If those who didn't deserve to drink of this cup were made to drink it, do you think you'll escape? And the one who was made first, the first idea behind this, we'll get to the another in a bit. The first idea behind this is the one who's made to drink, who didn't deserve to drink it, is Judah. And it's not that Judah is being said she's innocent and Yahweh brought judgment on her. It's by comparison, if Yahweh judged Judah... If he judged Jerusalem, the city called by his name, if he judge them, will he not judge you? We just saw the same kind of logic and reasoning in chapter 25, remember? In Psalm 137, a lamentation of those who are taken into exile, is that's what it is, that's what Psalm 137 is. This lamentation leads Israel to cry out in this way. Psalm 137.7 Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. So whenever Judah was destroyed by Babylon, Edom was cheering her on. And now these Exiles lament, asking God to remember that. One reason they could lament in that way was because God promised He would judge her through Jeremiah. Can they cry down judgment against the city called by Yahweh's name and not expect it to fall on themselves? Now do you see the answer why there's no wisdom in Edom? And this is the folly of all mankind, of all the nations. We think ourselves exempt from the very judgment we pronounce upon others. Romans 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judges those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? So a message goes out from Yahweh to the nations to gather against Edom, verses 14 and 15. And her pride, no doubt due to her formidable fortifications and, and buildings, and, and her Im, almost uh, impenetrable terrain, this pride that strikes terror into her enemies has deceived her. Her strength has deceived her, verse 16. And so, you're probably familiar with Petra. Petra was, as you really picture it, was a lot of that is, is more developed uh, by the Nebatians who would come after Edom in that territory. But they built upon what Edom had already laid. You get an idea of the kind of fortifications, the, the rock-like enclaves, the inaccessible approaches to her strongholds whenever you look at Petra. And a lot of that area does date back as far as Edom. but Yahweh will bring her down from her rock, he says. And so she'll be left like Sodom and Gomorrah without inhabitant, no one dwelling there as she is to this day, verse 18. Yes, there's, there's some small settlements, but there is no grand kingdom of Edom as it was then. Like a lion, Yahweh will pounce, and no shepherd, again, at no king, will be able to stand before him, and thus the little ones of her flock are Flock are dragged away, verses 19 through 21. And then one will swoop down like an eagle, spread his wings over Basra, and strike terror into the hearts of her warriors, like that of a woman in birth pain, verse 22. This one who swoops down on Edom, I take it to be identical with the one who's chosen and appointed over Edom, verse 19. Who is this? It's peculiar that although Israel was forbidden in the conquest to war against Edom, at the very same time that she's forbidden to do so, Balaam prophesies of one from Israel doing just that with God's blessing. Numbers 24, 18-19. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also. His enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. And that follows right on the heels of a similar prophecy concerning Moab's destruction. Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Again, if you try to keep the fences rigidly intact here, you will miss the fulfillment of this judgment as it comes in the one out of Jacob the star who has the scepters. And with a rod of iron dashes the nations to pieces. Isaiah speaks of his coming saying. Who is this who comes from Edom? In crimson garments from Basra. He who is splendid in his apparel. Matching the great, in the greatness of his strength. Who is it? Is the question. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty
1: to save. God says, it's me. And yet, if we back up in numbers, it's one that's going to come from Jacob. God is saying, I'm the one who's going to come out of Jacob and destroy Edom. He goes on. They ask him,
0: Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? The answer, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come. You see...
1: Judgment and salvation coming in the same act. Vengeance was in my heart,
0: and the year of my redemption had come. And remember, he's just said, the one who's speaking is me speaking in righteousness, judgment.
1: Mighty to save, redemption. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was
0: appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Isaiah 63, 1-6. So, in the judgment foretold on Edom, don't you see in light of this the judgment of
1: the wicked? the nations, the world. Who is this one? It is
0: God the Son incarnate speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Concerning Damascus, verses 23 through 27. Think of Damascus as a city-state. So the same way that you think of Nineveh in relation to Assyria, think of Damascus in relation to Syria. It's a capital, but it's also a city state. It's like a sovereign entity in and of its own at the same time. The news alone of her destruction verses 23 through 24 undoes her. And as concern for Moab, you may recall was communicated by a lament, 48 and verse 36. So you see Yahweh's care for the Arameans of Syria in verse 25. How is the famous city not forsaken, the city of my joy? And yet at the, same, at the very same time, it's the judgment that's being communicated in this kind of care that he has for her. How is she not forsaken? Even so, so, so the emphasis remains in all this on the judgment, wherein all her fighting force is destroyed and her strongholds devoured, verses 26, 26 through 27. And then next you come to Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, Hazor, And these would be the Bedouin, the nomadic, desert dwellers who were akin to Ishmael. You can see this in Genesis 25, 13. Nebuchadnezzar, as we're told would happen, destroyed her in 599 BC, plundering her tents and her goods, verses 29 and 32, and leading them away on her own camels. Though they didn't dwell in walled cities, but precisely because they didn't, because they were nomadic and they dwelled without bars or without walls because of how they dwelled they thought they were immune they were isolated they were independent they were at ease verse 31 but they are to flee and hide for their desolate area will be nothing more than the haunt of jackals verse 33 it matters not how independent how isolated how how ingenious you might be matters not how isolated you might be in this life. You'll be judged with all the wicked. Same pool, identified with this world that's fading away. You either belong to this age or the age to come. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either part of the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of heaven. God has a two-party system.
1: Sheep, goats, no one's registered independent. You are either in rebellion against Christ, or you bow to Him. Finally,
0: we come to what may be the lesser known of, of most of these kingdoms to you, Kingdom of Elam, but it's one that I'd venture you're more familiar with than you might realize if you've read your Bible through a time or two you've now no doubt come across this city named Susa. You're reading along in Nehemiah, and you see that it was why uh, Nehemiah was attending to the king in the citadel of Susa that word came to him concerning Jerusalem. Susa was the capital of Elam. But in your mind, you don't associate Susa with a kingdom called Elam. You associate it with a kingdom called Persia. Well, the reason you associate it with Persia is because
1: this prophecy happened. And Elam was destroyed by Persia. The bow was the mainstay
0: of her might, but bows are arguably the most easily broken of all ancient weapons. And Yahweh does so, verse 35. God will gather the four winds against Elam and scatter her to those four winds, verse 36. And Yahweh's destruction culminates with Him setting His throne in Elam, destroying her kings and officials, verse 38. And following this, that is when we're told that he will restore the fortunes of Elam in the latter days. I hope you're seeing there's no way that this can be contained in fences again and again. This makes it abundantly clear. There is no kingdom of Elam to be restored. There are no distinct ethnic Elamites to be restored
1: to Elam today are we to understand this promise is being fulfilled then?
0: When the crowds were gathered on Pentecost following the death and resurrection of Christ, we're told that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt... And the parts of Libya belonging to Serene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, which would be, by the way, those who were of the kingdoms of Kedar and Hazor. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked. But others mocked, said, They are filled with new wine. And after this, Peter preaches the gospel to this astonished crowd and we're told that when they heard they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what promise? The very promises of redemption contained within the judgments of the nations held forth here. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom Yahweh our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation, so that those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, Acts 2, 37-41. through 41. Now the crowd addressed on that day, they were all of them ethnically Jews. But you notice that they were associated with this crooked generation. They were ethnically Jews, but spiritually they were
1: Elamites. They were part of this world. by God's risen king, whom he set
0: down in their midst, he draws calls to himself, those far off, so that by repentance and faith in Christ, they receive forgiveness of sins. Isaiah spoke of God's king recovering the remnant of his people, "...from the nations, and then his judging those nations out of which he's called them." Isaiah 11, 10 and 11. "...in that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." In that day, Yahweh will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will gather His people, His remnant, the true Israel, from every place in which they are scattered. And what you see here, you begin to sense, is that the redeemed that will be gathered from all the nations, though some of them are ethnically Jews, every one of them are necessarily spiritual Jews, circumcised in the heart, sons of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Who are these redeemed, whose fortunes will be restored among whom God has set His throne? They are simply those who believe God's word of judgment and repent of their sins. They are those who hear His word of promise and trust in the promised one who was born, lived to be our righteousness, died bearing our sins, rose conquering our foes, and will return again and manifest glory to make all things
1: new. Ammon, trusted in her treasures. Edom, her wisdom and
0: fortifications. Kedar, her isolation, independence and ingenuity. Elam, in his bow. But thus says Yahweh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who, preach, who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares Yahweh where can we look to see that Yahweh is a god who practices steadfast unfailing covenant love righteousness
1: and justice we look to Christ and his cross and looking there sinner ask
0: yourself if he is so judged Christ for the sins of his people if he so judged Christ for those who trust in Christ will he not judge you who trust in your wisdom wealth and
1: weapons who who is this one that did not deserve to drink of the cup and was judged yes it's Israel but more so it's the true Israel Who comes to fulfill all righteousness in the stead of His people. And to bear, drink the cup for their sins. Heed His
0: warnings of wrath. Yes, they're ancient. But they grow more relevant. Not less so. These judgments have not faded into the past they are swelling ready to burst in the future repent and believe on the lord jesus christ seated at the father's right hand and you will be saved delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son
1: he will return the nations will be judged and the lines will then be redrawn and all will be the inheritance of his people in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father. Praise be to you that your every promise
0: is yes and amen in Christ. All we have is Christ. But in Christ we have all. And so grant repentance and faith. Because to those who don't know Christ. That are here with us today. Because whatever they have. If they have not Christ. They have nothing. Everything's forfeited. Father, bolster our confidence, our faith. May we go forward accepting whatever redrawing of
1: lines might be our lot in this life. However the earth may shift. We know that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Christ is our portion. You are our inheritance. All praise, glory, and honor be to you. And that you put forward your beloved Son, who did not deserve to drink of that cup, to drink it for us. He is all our hope. He is our salvation. And in His name we ask these things. Amen.